Hey everyone, what's the crack? And welcome back to episode number four of the Inline G Flute Podcast with me, your host, Inline G. I have decided this week I'm going to double down on it. So we've been talking about, will I go with my name Inline G or will I say Gareth Houston? We're going with Inline G, but we're sticking with it just for the podcast. So kind of how like Clark Kent the Superman and everyone knows Clark Kent the Superman and we all play into this fucking charade, but we know what the crack is. It's the same thing here. I'm Gareth Houston in the streets, but I'm Inline G in the sheet. So here, it's good to see you all again. Thank you for coming back. We're going to be following on from last week's episode, where last week we looked at the best flute solo in the entire flute literature, the one from Javes, Daphnis and Chloe, but this week we're getting our hands dirty. We're getting stuck in there. Now when I say dirty, okay, this week's episode will not be as dirty as last week's episode. That was just a wee treat. Okay, that was something special for you guys. That was a one-off, but this is not that kind of podcast, generally speaking. So this week will be much different. This is a very serious musical analysis from a very fucking serious musician. Hello. So, what are we up to this week? I'm going to be reviewing my top five favourite recordings of this famous, magnificent, wonderful, gorgeous, sexy flute solo from Daphnis and Chloe, as well as telling you guys exactly where to find them. Okay, now this is important. That means you guys don't have to go fucking around on the internet, going through Spotify, finding out which track it is, what moment does the solo start, do I have to skip the 120, blah, here, Inline G's done it all for you, don't worry, and I tell you what, even better, no matter where you're listening or watching, scroll down to the bottom there, take your thumb, away, you go, scroll down, there's a wee uh, chapters, there's a wee chapter section, which is in every video I do, by the way, and in there, you'll find where each review is coming up. And below that, you'll also see the full titles of the review. And you'll find, or full, full titles of the track, the track number, where exactly it starts. I've done it all for you. You can find it so quickly. Right, that's it. Before we get stuck in, I do have a little bit of housekeeping to do. Number one, James Galway and Emmanuel Bayou are not on this list. Now, stop. I can hear you. You're panicking. I can hear the fucking panic in your voice there. Don't worry. Now, obviously, both of them have recorded this solo quite a few times each, and they're the gold standards, as they are for everything those two lads do. They're they're fucking flawless. They're perfect. They're wonderful. They're incredible. And to be totally honest, they're beyond review. There is no fucking sense in me sitting here and reviewing Jimmy Galway or Emmanuel Bau. Who the fuck do you think I am? They're beyond it. They're absolutely incredible. We know that already. The point of this list is to try and find the other people when we're googling or when we're searching for a solo or a flute solo or something from the repertoire we automatically either go to Galway or Bowie or we come across it because it's the first one that comes up when you search for it so I want to change that we're going to look past those two so these five versions are beyond that people that you're maybe a little bit less likely to find because you've stopped at Jimmy and Emmanuel now secondly, I will be ranking these five versions, but the ranking part of it is purely subjective. As the whole fucking podcast, that I shouldn't have to clarify myself on this anymore. But it is impossible, and I mean impossible to say that any one of these five solos or these five players is better than another. All five of them are exquisite music making of the fucking highest level. And I fucking love all five of them. So this is purely my own pres- my own personal preference and how I'm going to rank it. Just purely which ones I prefer a little bit more than the others. But they're all five of them magnificent. 
I can't even think of the words right now. I can't even think of the fucking words. Now, lastly, to get serious, genuinely for a second, I will not be featuring any recordings conducted by Charles Dutois or James Levine. Now, I know both of these very well-known conductors have made very well-known recordings, specifically of Daphnis and Chloe, but I refuse to play them. So for a quick bit of context, context, both Dutois and Levine were heavily accused of um, sexual misconduct by a very large number of people. Now, I will say Dutois was the the subject of an internal investigation with his orchestra who found him not guilty. Okay, they didn't find him innocent. They found him not guilty through a lack of evidence and it was an internal investigation, not a police matter. Doesn't mean he's fucking innocent, okay? And yeah, Levine, well, we all know what happened there. If you don't, you can go Google it. So I refuse to play either of those conductors on any streaming service in general. This is not just for the podcast, this is for myself. I won't play their their tracks and I won't buy their records as I don't want them or their families or their reputations profiting from it in any kind of way. Classical music has a serious fucking problem with this and I'm glad it's starting to come out a little bit more, but I won't contribute to it by doing what a lot of people do, which is praising their musicianship and their artistry as if it's somehow independent from their (coughs) alleged (coughs) crimes fucking did it anyway i do however understand that these recordings feature a whole orchestra and a whole team of people behind them that are totally innocent in the whole thing and i really do feel very sorry for them so i do have one small solution for you if you really want to listen to the recordings with these kinds of people in them go do so via youtube with a video that is not uploaded by the orchestra or the record label so some guy or some girl or some person has uploaded a random video they've uploaded it it's on their account. Go watch it there. Or illegally download them. Send me a message. I'll show you where to illegally download them. The reason I'm saying that is because if you do that, one, there will be no p- potential financial profit going to either of these people or any people like that. And two, they won't be counted in official sales or streaming numbers, which is very important because then their reputations can justifiably so die off. Anyway, fuck all that. Let's get into this. Right, five delicious solos. We got it. These reviews are going to be short. And at the end of each one, I'm going to play a wee bit of each recording. Not the whole much, because if I play the whole thing, I'll get nicked for copyright. And I'll be in the slammer. And that's the last thing we need. If you get bored, or if you want to skip to a certain review, as I said earlier, chapters are down in the description. Just click that, and it'll take you, or tap that, and it'll take you straight to the next review. I always put them in there. I look after you guys. I'll be using the same three criteria for each review that I've made up myself before ending with a little wee conclusion at the end of each one. The conclusion is so I have something short and sweet for making clips on TikTok for people with no attention span. You might know them as Americans. The three criteria are the opening scale. Number two, the moneymaker moment which is not Ravel's words, unfortunately. That is, is an in original. The moneymaker moment is the little bit just before before bar 100, or not bar 178, rehearsal marking 178. It's the bit where the flute climbs up the scale and it does the minuendo and then it plays that pianissimo high D, not high D, but you know, third octave D, um, and it's au mouvement. It's the really special moment in the piece. Oh, mummy, it's special. That's number two. And... Number three, I'll be adding a few extra notes to point out that make this recording or each recording unique in its own way. So, if you're ready, let's get our hands dirty. 
So number five on the list is Mr. Paul Edmund Davies and he's playing with the London Symphony Orchestra. It was recorded in 1986 and it is conducted by Claudio Abbado. Now first of all, you can find this on Spotify. The album cover for all the video watchers will be here. I'll put it in the video. For anyone listening on audio, the cover, I'll describe it to you. It's basically like a Deutsche Grammophon Master Series and there is a piece of expressionist art on the cover, that kind of style. Now, in this recording, the solo starts directly at track number 22. So you play number 22, you're straight into the solo. Happy fucking days. Now, I won't wax lyrical here about Mr. Edmund Davies, as tempting as it is. But I will say, he is one of Britain's most respected flute players and probably one of Britain's most respected lads. He's so fucking humble, and especially considering how insanely good he is as a musician. I don't know how he's that humble. I don't get it. If I could play like Paul Edmund Davies, I wouldn't. My ego would take over if I could play like him, and I'd be a fucking, I'd be a rock star, man. I'd be, I'd be found dead in a bathtub full of chilly heatwave Doritos at the age of 29 if I could play like him. How he stays so humble, I'll never fucking know. So let's get into your criteria. The scale, first of all. So listen to the scale at the start. Each each recording starts with this big scale. Do, 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 do. Big flying one. And there's so many different ways flute players play it. So many different ways you can play it. So what does he do? Basically, he holds the first two notes back. So do, 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 do. Okay? That almost feels like you're winding it up, like a slingshot. You're pulling it back and it shoots it off and gives it so much direction. It really aims the scale up towards the top note. It's a little bit old school. You saw it a lot more in the sort of 80s and 90s. It's not as common these days, but in those days it was very in fashion. I'm a big fan. Now, criteria number two, the moneymaker moment, this big special moment. There's no messing around here. This is straight in, no kissing. There's a really slight slowing down on the last two notes of the scale as he goes up to it. And a little bit of a diminuendo, he gets a little bit quieter, but nothing nothing extreme. And to be honest, I actually find this really, really tasteful. And really, again, humble. That's a word I'm going to keep fucking using. Extra things to note about this recording. Now, first of all, the tempo and the general like momentum and drive of the whole section never really eases up. And that, again, feels almost like a mark of respect to Ravel to, like, not overindulge in any kind of way, including in tempo. Because the temptation is always there to slow a bit down and give it a bit of... But no, these guys, lads and ladies, sorry, although it was the 80s, I don't think there was many women in the orchestra. But anyway, um, they really, they respect the original tempo. They don't push and pull. A quick note on Mr. Edmund Davies' vibrato. Um... I love the way I say that. I used to get bullied for that in music college. People used to laugh every time I said that in performance class. Vibrato. I used to say vibrato, and I love that. But then I sound like Jimmy Gall. Anyway, so he's got a pretty constant vibrato. It doesn't change too much. And his sound, I have to say, Edmund Davies' sound is from that kind of school. You can hear the link with like the old French school, the Moise kind of school. And to an extent then, or to an extension of that, Jimmy Galway sound. It's, you, can, you can pull on the thread and you can see the link. But it's very important to say his vibrato is used much more sparingly, is probably the best word to describe it. Generally, in this solo, he uses vibrato on the important notes of the melody, on the longer notes, and on the shorter, smaller ones that are sort of passing notes, he lets it go. So it really shows that he understands exactly where the melody's going, and he's showing us, as listeners, this is the way it goes. These are the notes you should be paying attention to 
follow that line and the notes in between don't worry too much about them but follow the big line and also oh, Paul Edmund Davies he's fucking class guys he's brilliant you can hear in this solo that Paul Edmund Davies has in his ability to make a proper brilliant bright virtuosic sound like a proper Jimmy Galway unbelievable slap you in the face kind of sound and you hear it at the start at the end of the the series of g sharps the fourth one just after the breath you'll hear this in the recording afterwards so just after the breath for the last the fourth g sharp um you'll hear that note and you go wow fuck that's something different to all the others but he saves that sound for a couple of special moments he doesn't overindulge at all and again this is clearly showing that to me anyway it's showing that he's making a very artistic choice to have Ravel as the star of the show and not his flute plan. He just sits on that line without going too much and says, no, Ravel is the star here. And quick note in the orchestra, what can you say? It's the fucking London Symphony Orchestra in the 1980s. There's not much you can say that hasn't been said. It doesn't get bigger than that. It doesn't get better than that. This was the orchestra that inspired John Williams to write Star Wars and Williams apparently insisted that if he was going to record Star Wars with anyone, it had to be the LSO because they have this fucking unique, bright, shimmering sound that you just associate with Star Wars. It's so present and in your face. It's iconic as fuck. So I'm not going to talk about that. It's superb. It's fucking superb. And conclusion, we'll wrap this first one up. Humble, respectful, and so fucking tasteful. If Colin Firth were recording, this would be it. It'd be this one. And the highest compliment I can pay Mr. Edmund Davies here is, I feel like out of all the versions I've picked out, Ravel himself would love this one the most. So I'm going to play a little bit of it now. Enjoy. So here we are at number four in the list. We've got a flute player called Stephanie Faust and she'll be playing with the Zinvoni Orchestra Aachen and this was recorded in 2017, conducted by Mr. Kazem Abdullah, who I'm a big fan of. Now this one is on Spotify again. So for the audio listeners, for the video listeners, covers up here or maybe over there, I don't know where the fuck I've put it. This is a decision I'll make later on. Um, the cover is Mr. Abdullah himself in this gorgeous dashing tuxedo with a big white bow tie. Now, the solo starts directly at track number 21. Go to track number 21, hit play, and Bob's your uncle, Fanny's your aunt. Now, I'll start by saying, I live in Germany. I'm not far from Aachen. We're in the NRV region here, so I'm not far from Aachen. And before I moved to Germany, I wasn't aware of Miss Faust, of Miss Stephanie Faust. However, I will say, in this region, her reputation is, it precedes her. She is an incredibly respected person and musician and sort of, known for being this consistently brilliant orchestral musician for a long time. Just a real proper local legend of orchestral playing. An old school orchestral player. Just fucking brilliant. So let's get into the solo. The scale. Criteria number one. The scale. So as I said earlier, 
Usually players will either slow the first note or two down, or sometimes they'll slow the last note or two down. Now this is quite a weird recording in that sense. Faust kind of does both. She kind of does both. The first note is held back, so she slows that down a little bit. And then she flies up the fucking scale. Fucking flies up with a big crescendo. And then right at the last minute, she gets to turn to the top note. She takes the wheel, she turns the car back round and slows it down. And that's a lot going on in half a second's worth of music. You have to really listen to it, but you'll hear. So first note slow. And then last note a little bit slow. And in between, she turns it up the fucking... Turns it up the... What's that phrase? Turn it up to 60? 90? Ah, fuck. Someone tell me what that is. It's one of the rock bands. Fuck. Anyway. Yeah. She turns it up and then right at the last minute she turns the car around and brings you back home. And just sits on the G sharp or the wee diminuendo. And all that happens so quickly. So that is genuinely fantastic. Unique as fuck. And I will say it sounds surprisingly relaxed. The way I've described it there makes it sound like it's a very hectic thing that happens very suddenly. But it's all very subtle. And it, it is beautiful. And when I was studying this piece and listening to this recording a lot, the thing that I noticed most was the fact that she slowed down the last note as well. You go, oh, fuck, wow. That was, yeah. That was lovely. And here it was. Next, criteria number two, the moneymaker. The big moment. The big moment of the diminuendo. Very little slowing down. Not really much of a diminuendo either. She just plays right through it which actually has it the way i'm saying it there sounds bad it actually has a huge amount of benefit mainly being that it keeps the momentum of the piece going so it doesn't slow down it gives you direction and a sense of where it's going and it doesn't yeah the momentum isn't killed which in other recordings it is so that actually does work and especially because her sound is so fucking gorgeous and so rich in general that it's not something i would do as a player but with her sound i'm convinced that it works so it's it's again quite unique but fucking works well extra things i want to note about this recording a real variety of speeds of vibrato i have to say that there's almost there's quite big sections almost entirely without vibrato which is really surprising so unlike edmund davies she almost never puts the vibrato at the start of the note itself she'll always play the note first and then she'll open the door she'll open the door and say come on in vibrato and sometimes she'll open the door and say Come on in, take a glass of Prosecco, let me get your coat there. That's the way, it's lovely, she just welcomes it in. She doesn't say, here, open the door, you jump in. She opens the door and says, come on in there, come on in, the water's lovely. And it is, it's fucking class. There is a long C sharp, flute players know the one I'm talking about, when you listen to the recording, mamma mia, fuck me. But it sounds like she's going to play it without vibrato, and then it just starts giving a wee twinkle, and a wee, oh, look who's coming in now. And then before you know it, the party's in full flow. We've got our tops off. It's a... Sorry, right. Not going to take that any further. You get my drift. Superb. And a quick conclusion there on Miss Faust. Tasteful. Poised. Just a wee bit naughty. Everything in the right doses. And it plays so well with a genuinely superb conductor and a fucking titan of an orchestra. Zer fucking shun. Here it is. Enjoy.
So number three in the list, we're getting through this rightly, we have Ula Milman with the Danish National Symphony Orchestra in 2016 conducted by Matthias Pincher. Sorry, that noise you're hearing is me opening my Sprudelwasser. I'm recording this podcast this week at like 11 o'clock on a Tuesday morning, so I can't drink beer. Otherwise, fuck's sake, I'll be... I'll be topless and dancing to the Spice Girls by lunchtime. We can't fucking have that. So I've got a I've got a sparkling water because I'm very German now. But being in true German fashion, the sparkling water is a medium sparkling. You actually get different levels of the bubbles inside the water. It's so Deutsch and I fucking love it, man. I don't know what it is. I became German. Fuck. Anyway, enjoy this ASMR. Oh yeah, bitte. So anyway, Miss Mealman, fuck. Okay, before we get into this, um, this is the only one on the list that is not on Spotify. It's only on YouTube. Normally, I wouldn't do that to you. I would pick a genuine recording, but this one's too good to leave off the list. So it's on YouTube. It's on Ula's channel, her personal channel. The title of it on YouTube is Flute Solo from Daphnis and Chloe. You can find it by searching Ula Mealman Daphnis. Stick it into YouTube. And when you go to the video, it's just the solo. Start straight away. She plays the solo, done and dusted. It is a recording somewhere, but I can't find the recording. Or it's not on Spotify, and I'm not going to make you guys go and buy it. So we're moving into the top three here, the big hitters. And as we're getting into that, we've actually got to probably my three favourite flute players in the world. Certainly three of my favourites. So it is time to wax lyrical. Get ready, I'm about to wax the lyrical shit out of this. Ula Milman is rock and roll as fuck. She's a fucking force of nature, enormous musicality, and like this huge personality that just goes with it. I actually briefly met her a couple of years ago when I was in Copenhagen, and she's cool as fuck, man. She is so cool. She oozes musicality, but she has some real bite and energy to her playing that if you looked at her, you wouldn't think you would get that from her sound, but pure musicality with a real fucking rough edge to it in the best way possible. Unbelievable. Anyway, let's look at her daftness. So, the scale. Excuse me. The scale. She fucking flies up it by. Flies up it. Pure virtuosity. She kicks the door down and walks in. Like Arnold Schwarzenegger in Terminator 2. Just says, Ula's here. It's fucking... It's pure fucking confidence, man. I love it. It's pure confidence. It's so rock and roll. Number two. The moneymaker. The moneymaker moment. Now, on this one, she does, she slows down, she slows down a lot on the last note, and she cuts the vibrato, but keeps the energy going in the sound. So, you're under no illusions of where it's going. You know it's continuing on. It's not like she plays it in a way that makes it feel a little bit static, or she's making a cut in the sections. You know it's going back up there. But she takes away the vibrato and slows it down enough to just delay it a little bit. And then... Just as she plays the top D, the foot's back down in the accelerator and we're fucking off again. It is magic to listen to. It's incredible musicianship. Extra things to note, third part of our criteria. Firstly, her sound. Man, Ula Meanman's sound. Fuck me. It is stunning. It is fucking stunning. It's got this like, it's so warm and really dark. So really dark sound, which... By saying dark, I think what I mean is it's full of like the lower harmonics of the sound. So the lower end of the the lower harmonics, the lower end of the note, you hear a lot more and they're a lot more present. But 
and this is very important, she can do fucking everything with it. And she lets us know in this excerpt. The articulation in this changes so much in two minutes. It nearly feels like she's showing off, that she can just do it. The vibrato is always changing and the colours are constantly evolving. And I will say evolving because she gets all these different sounds out of the flute. But there's always this musical coherence. So each sound relates to the one before and the one after. You can always paint where it's going. She doesn't just slap you with a new one and go, oh, here we are for the sake of it. She'll take you on the journey. So there's always that little moment to transition between each sound. And when I say sound, I mean sound. Listen to this recording and listen to the flute and how different the quality of the sound changes on certain notes. It's unbelievable. It changes so much in two minutes. It's a masterclass of what you can do on the flute in two minutes. It's fucking class. On the orchestra, so present, so clear, so light, perfectly in time with each other. You know, this solo starts with a boom, boom on the basses and then a boom on the strings. And the little pizzicato, boom. I don't have that pitch is right. The little pizzicato, often it's not quite together. It's more or less. This sounds like it's one fucking instrument. It's just clean as a fucking bell. I hope the audio listeners enjoyed that. Okay, it's fucking gorgeous, lads. And yeah, let's get to the conclusion. Not much more I can say about this conclusion. She is an incredible musician and an incredible flute player, and she fucking knows it, man. I love it. It absolutely oozes musicality, and Ulla Mühlmann is pure punk rock, man. Pure fucking punk rock. Enjoy this solo, guys. Drink it in. Right, let's keep scooting on with number two. Here we have Juliette Aurel. She's playing with her orchestra, the Rotterdam Philharmonic, back in 2015, and it's conducted by who else but Yannick Nézé Segan. Now, this is on Spotify. The cover is Mr. Nézé Segan, Yannick conducting against like a black background. Um, and the album title is coloured out in the French flag. So the red, white, and blue. No, blue, white, and red. Red, white, and blue is the UVF. Um, it's a track number 12, but you do have to skip to 1 minute 25. So, top two in this list. They're both French. And they're, yeah, they're my two favourite flute pairs of all time, I think. It's hard to describe what it means to be French as fuck. It's something I say a lot. And I don't know how to quite describe what it means to be French as fuck. But if I give you a picture, it would be of Juliette Torel. She's one of my all-time favourite players. This is a proper special recording. So, as everything she does is. Everything she does is just... Ugh. Anyway, let's get into it. The scale. Unique. So, we've talked about it so many times now. We're getting used to this. We hear players, they slow down the first note or two. And that's the direction they'll go. But here... Aurel has a general accelerando going through the scale. So it's getting faster and faster and faster. 
it's taking what we would have called kitsch now Edmund Davies, that style, the 80s, 90s, we call it kitsch because it was so popular back then that it's almost almost became a cliche of itself. This thing going, dragging the first note in scales. It's very 80s, 90s. She's doing something like that, but giving it a very modern flavor in that way that she, each note speeds up, but there's no specific one note that is longer than the others. There's a general accelerando. So it's musical and it's romantic, but pas trop, hein? not too much. The moneymaker moment. Criterion number two. Fucking gorgeous. Rallentando across the entire scale. Again, same thing as the opening scale in reverse. She gets slower and slower and slower as she goes up. Beautifully. Just waiting at each note. Following on from the last. No one sticking out. Uh, the mini minus gorgeous. And the top D. It's fucking magic. It's fucking magic. It just sits there. It just, just comes out. Pure. No vibrato. Delicate. Poised special extra things to note her sound is fucking magic like this is Juliette Derrida we're talking about it's fucking magic it's sensual it's creamy it's delicious and it's never too much it could easily be but it never is and this is a general theme everything she does everything Juliette Derrida does in general all her music is so expressive but never too much she never crosses that line her musical choices are mature refined they're elegant and they're always pulled off with this air of fucking confidence and coolness and just fucking Frenchness man just so French and also in this recording words cannot describe how much I love Yannick one of my favorite fucking conductors of all time and this is a match made in heaven with that orchestra as well his orchestra Um, his tempo choices are always just bang on he never goes too fast he never goes too slow and the thing I always notice about it is there's always a flexibility in his tempos but never at the expense of technical perfection. Sometimes you'll hear an orchestra slow down and they'll do it because it's a musical choice and they want to do it, but technically it doesn't quite work. They don't stay together the whole way through the slowing down process. That's not the case here. If they slow down, they do it together perfectly in time. So you get this proper harmony between technical and musical perfection, which is a rare fucking thing. So our conclusion. I don't want to play in the French stereotypes, but Juliette Red's playing is so French in the best possible sense of the word. She's like a bottle of Chateau Neuf du Pape or like a Dior perfume or like a fucking Zinedine Zidane volley in the Champions League final against Bayer Leverkusen. It's that perfect harmony of class, technical perfection and raw emotion. Magnifique. And here's the recording. Enjoy. And here we are, we're at number one guys. And here, if anyone knows me, it's not gonna be any fucking surprise to who this is. Number one is, of course, Magali Meunier with the Orchestre Philharmonique de Radio France in 2005, conducted by Myung Won Chung. Now it is on Spotify, it's got a beautiful white cover, it's made by Deutsche Grammophone, and the solo starts directly at track number 18. Away you go. Number two. 
Now listen guys, we're four episodes into this podcast and I haven't really mentioned my former teacher, Magalie Monnier, that much. And to anyone who knows me, this probably comes as quite a shock. I had a legitimate fear that if I did start talking about her too much, this would become like a Magalie Monnier fan podcast. And do you know what? For the next few minutes, it fucking is. It absolutely is. This is letting me go and is letting me wax lyrical. She's my favourite flute player of all time. This is one of my favourite pieces of all time. It's my favourite orchestra and it's probably my favourite recording. So listen, sit back, relax and allow me, your host in line G, to, la- to wax lyrical. To lax lyrical. <laughs> That's brutal. Faster's kicking in. To wax lyrical one more time. So the scale, let's get into our criteria. The scale at the start. There's a very slight holding on to the first note. But it's slight. And then after that, we're off. You're shooting up to the top G sharp. Away you go. Now, it's not unlike the Paul M and Davy scale. This just adds a little bit more virtuosity to the sound and the speed of the scale itself. So it's the same kind of style in theory, but the actual sound is much more whoa, brilliant and bright and showy-offy. Um, it's a brilliant opening, but it has got just that little touch of grace and poise to just keep it cool. Keep it cool as fuck, man. Criteria number two, the moneymaker. Perfect. Guys, fucking parfait. This is the moment when I first listened to this excerpt that made me totally fall in love with the excerpt because I listened to this recording. So, Maggie slows down gently, but not too much. She doesn't take the piss. But the real magic is just before the date. I'm going to do my best to describe this because it's so subtle and I really hope you guys can hear it. As she diminuendos, she gets quieter on the A sharp, it goes down to almost nothing. Almost. It's not quite nothing. So imagine if you're like on your computer and you're playing music and you turn it down to 1% volume, you can't really hear it, but you know what's there. If you know what's playing, you know what's there. If you didn't, you wouldn't hear it. This is like that. It never goes to quite zero. So just holding that A sharp, it never goes quite to zero. And then she moves to the D, which starts at the same thing. It starts at 1% as well. It's so fucking delicate and beautiful. And it genuinely breaks my heart every time. It's one of the few times where I will listen and just go, oh man. It's pure fucking magic. Magic. It makes you want to listen to a piece and not hear it, if you know what I mean. It just invites you in. It's so subtle and delicate. And when that top D hits, you're just like, oh, man. It's almost like you're whispering it. It's almost like she's whispering. And the harmonic change there is so good. Ravel's writing. It's a pure magic moment, man. It really is. And she's not showing you it. She's whispering it, saying, here's this magic moment. Do you like that, do you? Come here, you. Come here, you take that it's fucking it's magic extra things to note oh guys what can i say this is perfection from start to fucking finish firstly there is something so 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 unique about her sound about maggie's sound that i've known her for nearly 10 years and i don't really have the words to describe it it's so different it's very warm and very rich but it's got this delicacy that could break my heart and it was the first time honestly that i heard flute playing like that when i met her that i realized the flute could be so delicate I grew up in with incredible teachers all my life, but always male teachers. Maggie was my first female teacher, along with Catherine in the same year. Um, and I never knew the flute could be treated so delicately. 
because the lads I'd studied with had been, you know, that kind of Galway, um, what do you call the English wanker, Gilbert, um, Moyes, good, he's not a wanker, you know what I mean, he's English, so, um, and they have that, like, real macho, beefy sound, and I'd never heard someone just say, no, you don't need that, just play delicately, this beautiful delicacy that just breaks your heart, and it feels like, I, I don't know how to quite describe it, I've got it written down here, something, but it's a paradox how she gets those two sides of having a really rich sound but also super delicate that feels like it could genuinely break at any moment i never really understand how you can put those two together that's why it's a paradox but i I fucking love it and the sound between each note so each transition between every note is perfectly made with no bumps it's like butter going between the two it's so they have a word in french which someone described it as which is velouté Someone described her sound as that to me, and I only know velouté for the yogurt, but it's a really creamy yogurt, and the imagery in my head is bang on. It's like really fucking good Greek yogurt, but like really good. You know, like the really fancy shit that's like three pound a tub for like a wee tub. It's like usually like Madagascar vanilla or some shit like that. There's one in back home made by Clandy Boy Estate. Fuck me, it's that. It's Clandy Boy Estate Madagascar vanilla yogurt, vanilla yogurt, vanilla yogurt. Fuck, I'm losing my mind. Sprudelwasser's kicking in. Anyway, a unique sound, uniquely used. And as for the interpretation, always twisting, always turning, never settling, never sits down. But again, like Juliette Derelle, always with a coherency and a clear intent. One idea leads to another, which then leads to the following. But there's always this constant push and pull of tempo and intensity, but within a certain set of parameters. So it never feels settled, but it doesn't feel unsettled. It's another paradox. I don't know, lads. It's just fucking class. Um, this is also my favourite orchestra in the whole world. The Orchestre Philemon de Radio France. And it's one of my favourite conductors of all time, Young Won Chung. He actually conducted the Opéra de Paris Orchestra as well back in the 90s. And so he was the favourite conductor of both my flute teachers in Paris. So Magali and Catherine Canton, who played with the opera orchestra back in the 90s as well. They both loved him and they both say, they talked about him a lot in lessons and said they both got so much from him as musicians. So I feel like maybe a wee bit of that has passed on to me because they were the two teachers that influenced me most in my stylistic choices. And I'm sure a bit of Chung is coming from them. They're very different musicians themselves, but there is certain themes that are the same. And I wonder, is that a bit of Chung? And then is that coming through to Inline G? Maybe I'll get him on the podcast. Can anyone tell me how much it costs to get Young Wen Chung on a podcast? Where he comes up to my comes up to my roof and drinks Sprudelwasser with me and talks about the Spice Girls. Anyway, conclusion. Conclusion. This is the Diego Maradona of flute solos. It's perfect. It's fucking perfect. I've got fuck all else to say. Go listen to it. Perfect. On that note, you can listen to it now. Profite bien. Right, guys, we're at the end of the podcast. 
thank you for coming on this journey with me. It's been a fucking blast, as always. It's so nice to have you there. I got some really fucking nice messages today from people who had found my podcast organically, who weren't even classical musicians, but said they enjoyed the shit I talk. And that is so lovely to hear that one person actually told me they listened to all three episodes and I'd never met this person. And I was like, that made my day, lads. It was amazing. It was amazing. If you could do me a favour, if you're still listening, go like the podcast, would you? And subscribe to it on whatever you're doing. It, it's just because the algorithm loves it when I get subscribers. So like it and subscribe, please. Or leave a five-star review if you're on one of the podcast services instead of YouTube. Do that. Recommend it to your mates. Send it to a mate you think might like it. Or recommend it to a mate and say to them, listen, even if you fucking hate it, can you play it for 60 seconds and put it on mute in the background so uh, Inline G gets the views and the clicks? Do that for me. Follow me on TikTok. Jesus Christ, I need people to follow me on TikTok. I need to go fucking viral, okay? I, I don't want to work anymore. I don't want to do work, all right? I want to sit about all day in my lovely raccoon t-shirt. Sorry, audio listeners, you can't get the raccoon t-shirt, but look at this fucking t-shirt, man. My girlfriend got me that. It's fucking gorgeous. But listen, I I want to sit all day in my raccoon t-shirt just making funny videos. I've been working my bollocks off on these clips recently, by the way. I put loads of them up on TikTok. They take so much fucking time and I need one of them to go viral. Just fucking one. And then that way I never have to work again. So please go follow me on TikTok for the love of Christ. Support my dream of being unemployed, but making shitloads of money and wearing a raccoon t-shirt and drinking Sprudelwasser all day. Anyway, guys, as always, it's been a pleasure. I love you all. Have a great weekend. Go and drink something nice. Go get yourself a gin and lemon. Gin and Fanta lemon. A gin and, I don't know. Get yourself something nice. Treat yourself. Get a kebab this weekend. If you're back in Belfast, get yourself a pasty bap. If you're in France, get yourself a... Do you know what to get yourself? Get yourself a baguette with some dehama. Fuck. Knock yourselves out there, lads. Go have fun this weekend. You deserve it. You've worked hard. I love you all. Big smooches. All the best. Mwah. Fuck out of here.